Amanda's a sophomore in college, and like many of us, when you ask her how she's doing, she is busy. My schedule is color-coded, and this semester it looks like a rainbow puked up on the pages. So I asked her to tell me what she had going on in her life that's making her so busy. Currently, I am taking an 18-credit semester, which is one credit over the max allowed. And then I'm also in the Taylor Ringers, which is a handball choir. I'm on the leadership programs cabinet. Oh, and then I also do karate. And then I work several just random part-time jobs. So I am an academic coach for another student. I work sometimes for one of the professors. I worked security at a concert this past weekend. Whoa, that is a lot of stuff that Amanda's doing, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer here or anything, but I'll be honest with you, Jesse. I'm a little disappointed in Amanda. <laughs> Why are you disappointed in Amanda? She's listing a lot of things, but I don't hear anything about orphans in there. And I haven't done all the math here. It's still, I've got to work through it. But I can see about 20 or 30 minutes available in the schedule here that I think, I'm just saying Amanda should consider the orphans and maybe bring an orphan to the handbell choir, kill two birds with one bell. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you would be the worst life coach ever. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode is where the gospel meets burnout. And before you think, great, not another person to tell me I'm too busy and make me feel guilty, that's not what this is about. This is about the very real consequences of an unchecked life, about what happens when we just keep on pushing the boundaries of what we're capable of. We're going to hear one pastor's personal story with burnout and about the very real consequences of our relationships in life. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. So at the end of 2016, Harvard conducted a study to answer the following question. Why are Americans so impressed by busyness? And I can imagine that they saw strong results because in America, we wear busyness as almost like a badge of honor, right? Where it's the more I'm seen as busy, the more important I should be perceived. Which was basically the findings of Harvard study. In other parts of the world, busyness is associated with lower status. But here in the U.S., it's a symbol of wealth and power. Yeah, which makes sense with how society operates because we emphasize social mobility. Like we tell ourselves that if you want to achieve the American dream, then it's just a matter of working hard. Yeah, and then we bring all of those values straight into our faith. And while we would never say it out loud, we think that the more that we do for God, the more important of a Christian that we'll be. But God's approach to work is just very different from ours. So Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, of course, we should say this. God calls us to work. I mean, he wants us to participate in what he's doing. And he talks about, you know, in Scripture, hand to the plow and that sort of language in Scripture. So he's obviously calling us to work. Yeah, but God delights not in just giving us more work to do, but he also delights in giving us rest. But often we feel like we should be doing more. I mean, at least that's what Pastor Jameis Edwards thought. There were so many responsibilities, whether it's another sermon to preach, whether that's another uh, lecture to give, another class to teach. 
So Jameis is a pastor in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is about a two-hour drive from Louisville. And in Owensboro, Jameis, his family, his church, they were all doing really well. But of course, they were also very busy. I just found myself really constantly needing to be available to people. Everything that Jameis is describing, it's pretty normal. I mean, it's normal to have too many things to do and too little time to do it in. But then on top of that, Jameis actually decides that he's going to go and get his Ph.D. I decided to go back to school to do a Ph.D., something that I had been thinking about, praying about for several years. And I felt like that the time was right. So all at one time, I'm full-time pastor, full-time father, full-time husband, and now I'm a full-time Ph.D. student. Jesse, prediction. I see a full-time mental breakdown heading Jameis's way. Well, yeah, and that was Jameis's fear. And so he really wanted to make sure that he was going to protect his family. The one thing I went into the PhD program saying was, I'm not going to let this kill my family. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I'm not going to be that guy that sacrifices my family for the next four years just so I can get a degree. So when Jameis enrolls back in seminary for his PhD, he decides to structure his days like this. What I did was I broke my day down into three distinct sections. So, you know, you're eight to five, if you will. I was at the church. I mean, that's what I did. I'm preparing to preach sermons. I'm leading. I'm serving. I'm counseling. And then when I get home from five till, let's call it nine o'clock, that's family time. And during that time, I didn't do anything church related and I didn't do anything seminary related. I made it my goal that my young children still at that point wouldn't even know that I was a PhD student. From five to nine, I ate dinner with my family. They had me, I was all in. And then when the kids went to bed, Jameis went to school. And so, you know, that might start at say 10 p.m., 9.30 p.m. And I'm, you know, reading books and writing papers and, and researching. And just until I could, couldn't go anymore through the night. You know, sometimes if I close shop at midnight, it might be two or 3 a.m. What James is doing sounds absolutely like a miserable experience. Yeah, but like you went through this recently. I mean, you would go to work all day long and then you came home. You guys did this huge renovation on your house. So you're working all day long, working your eight or nine hour job that includes travel. And then every spare moment of your free time, you were working on your house. Yeah. And why? For the good. We're at, at the core, just like James is here. He's doing it for the good. Like I was doing all that to support my family, love my family, make our lives good but it is at the cost of being miserable. I had in my mind, I can do this. You know, my family is not going to suffer. My church is not going to suffer, but I'm going to suffer. And that's okay. So after an entire year of living like this, church eight to five, family five to nine, school 930 to whenever, Jameis started acting not like his usual self anymore. I had begun to just grow irritable, for sure, at home. I'd become short-tempered. When I would finally lay down to sleep, I wasn't sleeping that well. My anxiety level by that point was just through the roof. I remember one day after a PhD seminar, and I went out to the parking lot, and I just sat in my car, and I couldn't even like start the ignition. I was just paralyzed in anxiety. It, prospect of writing a dissertation, which of course is the climax of the PhD and it's 2,000 hours of research and just the prospect of doing that 
in an already chaotic life. I just, I've never had like a panic attack before, but I, I think that's probably what that was. So not only that, he'd also started to become just kind of apathetic to his role at his church. And it's not like Jameis never thought, okay, maybe I need to rest some. It's just that he couldn't. I mean, I knew all the right answers. I mean, I, I know you're supposed to rest, and I know I was supposed to sleep more, and I know you're supposed to have days off. I knew all of the right answers, but I, I, I wouldn't do it for myself. And the reason is, like, I don't have time to rest. I can't. Like, I, there's, there's a dissertation that has to be written. There's sermons that have to be preached. There's souls that have to be saved. You know, there's, there's people that have to be fed. My, my kids have to be cared for and loved. My wife uh, needs my attention. I haven't taken her on a date and Lord knows when. And like, who has time to, to take a day off? I totally get this because he's like in the middle of this basic catch 22. You know, he's a guy between a rock and a hard place because on one hand, he's trying to accomplish a lot in a little amount of time. But on the other hand, his well-being is suffering. And so rest is the first thing that gets scratched off the list when you have that amount of activities just to check off. Yeah, totally. And so finally, one night at church, Jameis realized he wasn't just getting drained because he was busy. Something was seriously wrong. Here, here was the defining moment. We were uh, having a family meeting at our church one night. That's kind of our version of a business meeting. We do those quarterly. And um, it was a really difficult meeting that night because um, we were kind of in the final stages of, of church discipline for uh, a man that was a member of our church that I had uh, led to Christ and had baptized him. So at this meeting, one of the other pastors gets up and tells the congregation about the steps that they've taken with this individual who Jameis has really poured into, but this guy just isn't repentant. And anytime a church has to conduct discipline on a member, it's just really emotional and hard. I mean, we just talked about this in our last episode where the gospel meets addiction. But suffice it to say, the church meeting, it was just awful. And you get us here people weeping in the congregation and I'm on the front row on my iPhone playing around on Twitter. And I and I wasn't even moved. Like I and, and that's when it just struck me. I'm like, something is wrong with me. Everyone in this church is weeping but me. This guy is we can't even call him a Christian anymore. And I'm on Twitter playing around and I'm the pastor of the church. I went to bed that night just thinking, something's not right here. Like, I have I lost my soul? You know, is my, is my soul just in paralysis? This paralysis was actually a symptom of something else. So the next day, Jameis calls some friends in Louisville who are certified counselors, and he drives two hours to go meet with them. And I sat down for a couple of hours and just poured out my heart, you know, everything I've been thinking, my apathy. And I told him, I was like, I don't even know, you know, if I want to do this anymore. And I, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And, and they, they looked at me and said, Jameis, you are burned out. And they said, in our experience over 30 years of counseling ministry, where you are now is you are at a point where you can't go any further as things are or you won't survive. Coming up, what to do when you're burnt out. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Larissa from Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
I made an impact on people experiencing burnout by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Today's episode is Where the Gospel Meets Burnout. We're following the story of Jameis, a full-time pastor, father, husband, and PhD student. He's grown irritable, apathetic, and even zoned out through social media at an emotional church meeting. So now he's in Louisville speaking with two counselors, and these men, they're from an organization called Crosspoint Ministry. Crosspoint offers soul care for Christian leaders. We say it that way. Some have said we pastor pastors. This is Jim Cofield, one of the men meeting with Jameis. And Jim has a good understanding of burnout. And it's because he used to be a pastor and he experienced it himself. In fact, on a personal note, I remember telling my wife while we were walking up the sidewalk to the church where I was pastoring, saying, I feel like I'm just putting in time just putting in time, just I I was done with ministry. This is a drain, not an infusion of life in any way. So when Jim experienced burnout, he reached out to Crosspoint and it so profoundly changed his life that Jim actually now works for them. And that's why I have a passion for what I do now. That's why we have a heart for ministry leaders because oftentimes they feel like, rightly or wrongly, but they feel like they can't talk. They can't be vulnerable. They feel their job's at stake. And sometimes it is. That was my case as well. I just, I just felt like my elders are my employers. And so how much can you disclose and still keep your job? That puts you in a bind, that's for sure. And so all that to say is that Jim gets it. Uh, he's really sympathetic towards folks and their need to take care of themselves. And so when Jim met with Jameis and told him, Jameis, you are experiencing burnout. Jim knew firsthand just how serious it was. All right, Jesse, just for a moment here, can you give me a good definition of burnout? Because I feel like that's a phrase that is just thrown up in society. And, I, you know, I use it for like, you know, there was a time I used to eat Taco Bell every day and I got burnout on it. I don't think that's what we're talking about here, right? Well, according to Jim, it actually goes a lot deeper than just not wanting Taco Bell anymore. I would describe burnout as just experientially, it's just um, kind of, an, it can be a physical exhaustion certainly a mental or spiritual exhaustion. And then there's apathy, not energy, and not interest in either my vocation or even even life. And that, that becomes very serious then. So it can be a little tricky here to parse out the difference between being burnt out and being depressed. But in broad strokes, you know, depression oftentimes carries with it a lack of desire for almost anything. But being burnt out carries with it a desire to escape. So people may daydream about other careers or vacations or things that they want to do. So the desires might still be there. It's just that the desires are not connected at all to the life that they're actually living. Uh, I told my wife, Annie, one day, uh, I said, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I'm I'm quitting. I said, I want to to be a teacher and I want to coach high school basketball. That's that's what I'm going to do. And so one obvious way to deal with burnout is to just stop working. And so Jim and his colleague tell Jameis that in order to recover, he needs to take a three-month sabbatical, effective immediately. 
which Jameis thought was just completely unnecessary. Well, I, I spent the next 30 minutes telling them uh, how ridiculous their conclusion was. And, and I told them all the reasons, you know, being a Baptist preacher, I probably gave them three points in a poem as to why I didn't need a sabbatical and as to why I couldn't do that. The church needs me. What are the people in my congregation going to think? You know, I mean, they've called me to be their pastor. They don't get to take a, a sabbatical. I mean, we've got hardworking men and women in our church who work 60, 70, some of them 80 hour weeks. They don't get to take a break. It's not fair. Yeah, and I totally get where James is coming from in this because I've been at churches where the pastor takes off three months and I'm like, dude, you have like the easiest job in the world. You basically live at Starbucks. You read all the books you, you want to read. You take people out to lunch. You go see movies. Freedom to take a nap anytime, any day. Like you're taking a break from that. But what a lot of people don't see is they don't see that really the sermons or hanging out at Starbucks, those are actually the small portions of most pastors' jobs. Pastors are caring for the very delicate internal worlds of people. I mean, they're taking care of people's souls. When my mom died, guess who I called? I called the pastor. And I, my expectation is that the pastor is going to show up and they're going to walk with me through that, regardless of whether the pastor knows how to walk me through that or not. They're supposed to be there when a kid is born, when somebody dies. They're supposed to officiate a wedding. They're supposed to walk through all of the biggest seasons of life with all of us. And somehow they're supposed to do it competently. So here's Jim again. The CPA, the plumber, the person working on in the factory on the line, they can still theoretically do their job if they just kind of muscle up and just hang in there. It's pretty hard to be labeled as one who cares for the souls of others when you just have nothing left to give. But your job isn't the only thing at stake, and it's not the most important thing either. Even though it can be a vocational risk, I can be let go from a job because I'm simply not fulfilling it. The real stakes are relational. And so this is actually completely true for Jameis. In fact, in Jameis's family, they had already been feeling the effects of his burnout. So here's his wife, Annie. I think our relationship just felt like sandpaper. <laughs> like, and so we just really weren't connecting as a family. Um, and there just seemed to be a heaviness, uh, stress. And I think my tendency during that time period was to think immediately, well, I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm not being a good wife or he thinks I'm being a bad mom. Um, or maybe he doesn't think I'm pretty anymore. He's not into me. Like something, I mean, these are just kind of the thoughts that were going through my mind, thinking that his mood and what was going on with him was because of something I had done or something the kids had done. Well, Jim and his colleague, they are insistent that Jameis take a break in order to recover. So they actually drive the two hours down to Jameis's church. They meet with the elders and they essentially force Jameis to go on a three-month sabbatical. And so with no other option, Jameis complies. And his wife, Annie, she's actually, she's thrilled. I felt like this sense of relief. <laughs> and then um, I was excited to have that time with him to reconnect as a family. Okay, so Lachlan, if you were in Jameis's shoes, what do you think would help you? Like, what would you do for your sabbatical? 100% head to the beach. Well, that is exactly what Jameis and his family did. We just drove to South Florida, and we stayed there for you know almost a couple of weeks. 
and uh, it was awesome. I was just able to breathe again. I think my soul had just forgot what it meant to breathe and to relax. And I was able to do that. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And his wife, Annie, started to think that their family was going to go back to normal again and that the rest of their time off, the next two and a half months of their sabbatical, it was going to be just like this. So I'm thinking, oh, like long walks on the beach. We're going to be playing family games and like telling stories around the campfire. And I thought, hey, this is going to be great. And it it was not. Then after about two weeks, it, it all hit the fan. So I actually see this a lot. In fact, I don't know anyone personally that's in ministry that has taken time off that doesn't actually have significant issues arise about two weeks into their sabbatical because we're just so addicted to doing and going all the time. And it takes those first two weeks to kind of get it out of our system. It's like a detox phase. And after those two weeks, it's like all the stuff that's been buried that all of our busyness has been hiding from us, all of it starts to come out. And it's just hard and it's painful and it's uncomfortable. And so coming home from Florida two weeks into a sabbatical, Jameis found himself left only with himself. And it wasn't exactly pretty. I realized I had an idol in my life, which was productivity. There was a reason that Jameis overcommitted himself. He found identity in the things that he did. He wasn't okay with just being Jameis. He had to be Jameis the pastor, Jameis the father, Jameis the student. And he had to do all those things because he thought that's what made him himself. I, I did not have the ability to say no to people, to work, to productivity, because I had this false view that I was indispensable, that the church had to have me, that people had to have me, that the kingdom of God had to have Jameis Edwards. And then when that was all stripped away from me, I had nothing and I fell apart. So actually at that point, plunged into what I really believe is a deep depression. So what was supposed to be this life-giving time off for Jameis ended up becoming some of the darkest points actually of Jameis's life. I have journal entries that I've, I've saved where I was questioning my Christianity. I don't even know if I was a believer in, in the gospel. Whoa, that took a dark turn real quick. I, Jameis is like swimming with dolphins. Next thing you know, he's not a Christian. Like everything's up for question now. What is going on with this guy? Well, I mean, what happened was that the sabbatical finally gave Jameis space to slow down and reflect. I mean, when we're constantly going and going and going, we aren't able to take inventory of what's going on inside of us. And so now he's just he's having to come to terms with stuff that maybe has been under the surface for a while. He just never slowed down enough to see it. Oh, man, it's such a bummer. He's like on vacation. And this does not even sound enjoyable at all. It just sounds like a mess. And not just a mess for him. I mean, our actions don't just affect ourselves. When it comes to burnout, the stakes are relational. So while James is working through his own junk as it relates to work and identity, his wife, she's also suffering all the consequences of that. I didn't feel like he, he knew me. So I felt like I wasn't known by my husband. Like he saw me, but he didn't really see me. You know what I'm saying? Like we were just passing each other <laughs> from one event to the next. Had I had a lot of bitterness from that. 
And so, you know, when there's bitterness, you pull away. And so it wasn't actually just his wife, Annie, that was suffering. James's kids were suffering, too. They would always notice if Daddy was not right or if Mommy was upset. I remember we were on a trip to a cabin, and we got there, and we were really excited. And then Jameis and I, we said something to each other, just like one little thing, and it exploded into this like huge argument. And we ended up leaving the cabin, not staying there for the week. And the kids, I remember them crying in the car on the way home, and I'll never forget it. Our um, daughter said, I just feel like Satan's in this car. That really brought me to tears because thats it just felt like darkness, and I, they felt it too. So sometimes we find ourselves burnt out because we've worked too hard. But the irony was that actually for Jameis to heal, he actually needed to work some more. He didn't need to do external physical work. He actually needed to do some internal work. Stay with us. Hi, this is Trevor from Louisville, Kentucky. I made an impact on people experiencing burnout by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship and Christian community, Visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Today's episode is where the gospel meets burnout. Okay, Jesse, so I get it. Jameis is burnout. He's on the sabbatical. Things are not going well. How is this guy going to recover? Is he going to recover? Please tell me he does. Well, there's two important things when it comes to recovering from burnout. So first, it takes community. Here's Jim from Crosspoint again. You can't, you cannot do this work alone. So find someone that can help you. And if you have a spouse Hopefully your spouse can, but don't put that load entirely on a spouse. That's an awful lot for a spouse to bear. So get a coach, get get a spiritual director, get get a pastor, someone that can walk, or a good friend who's experienced, maybe down the road ahead of you in life, maybe has been through this, that can just help you and listen to you and encourage you and, and tell you what to stop, maybe. So for the remainder of his sabbatical, Jameis met regularly with Jim and did the hard work of heart work. They worked through his addiction to productivity. They worked through his depression. But Jim also says you don't just need someone to mentor you. You also need peers who are just in the trenches with you. And the folks at Jameis's church, they got in the trenches with Jameis and his family. So here's his wife, Annie, again. So some of my friends um, were just really good to kind of be intentional. A particular friend of mine will come over and she texts me and she says, listen, I know I'm going to ring this doorbell and you're going to hide in your house somewhere, but I'm not leaving until you open the door. So, you know, she just would come and pray with me, um, sit with me, kind of just let me word vomit on her. I think one time she brought us a an apple pie and a bag of grapes. Like she was just, she just was trying to bring something just to like give encouragement. So the first thing you need to recover from burnout is community. And the second thing that you need is just time. I think it was just such a 
process and it was so slow, like the change was so slow that I can't even pinpoint like a, oh, this is such a huge difference. It just, it just happened. So fast forward through time and at the end of his three month sabbatical, Jameis finally returns to his church. And Jameis, by that point, he was okay. And he was actually even okay with not being needed all the time. I came back and realized they didn't actually need me at all. You know, I mean, the, the gospel continued to go forward and the church was strong and healthy and the church did not miss a beat and the kingdom of God did not miss a beat and the word of God did not miss a beat and the gospel didn't miss a beat without Jameis Edwards. And that was the most uh, difficult thing for me to realize when I came back, like, oh, the church is great. Um, nobody left, you know, like that. I'm, uh, they don't have to have me. Jesus doesn't have to have me. And so the other thing that was really cool is not only were things better with his church, but things were actually a whole lot better with his family too. So he planned this date where we went horseback riding and it was hilarious because he got this horse that was like divergent and it, uh, it went off into the cornfield and it like, the corn kept smacking Jameis in the face and he was like trying to get it all on video and his phone fell in the cornfields and he's just fun to be around and I think we're enjoying life more. So something interesting happened during our reporting. So we thought that everyone would just spend a lot of their time talking about all of their activities that they have to do and about how they need to pull back on work. But one of the things that kept kind of popping up was actually that technology was actually one of the things that was making their burnout speed up and become worse. So remember earlier, there was a scene where there's this emotional church meeting and Jameis is in the meeting and he's like sitting there on his phone. But now coming through the other side of this burnout, he said he's got this really dynamically different relationship with technology. And I don't do this every day, but I'm, I'm trying to do it most days is when I get home from work, I turn my phone off and sometimes I'll, I'll make like a public service announcement to Annie and the kids, kids, mom, look at this. I'm turning the phone off. You see off that in and of itself is a life changer and I'm happier. I'm more enjoyable to be around. There is a direct connection, at least for me. Okay. Between my level of joy in life and my time on social media. Okay, so we wanted to figure out if there were any stats out there on this. Okay, so there was a study of incoming freshmen at UCLA, and they were asked this question, do you feel overwhelmed by all that you have to do? So Lachlan, in 1985, what percentage do you think said yes? In 1985? Yeah. I think it was pretty low, because 1985 was the jam. Got slap bracelets, tight roll jeans, MacGyver, nothing to be stressed out about, right? Yeah, it was small, 18%. Okay, so by 2010, what do you think that that climbed to? I think it got bumped up, a little bit more stressful, a little bit busier. That's my guess. Yeah, it jumps all the way up to 29%. Okay, so 1985, it was 18%. 2010, it was 29%. Two years ago, it jumps all the way up to 41%. Wow. Do you know what one of the common causes was for that jump? Social media. Oh, really? Yeah. Social media was one of the number one things cited that has caused people to live in a constant state of feeling overwhelmed. I guess it makes sense because we see on social media, that's where you personify your best is on Facebook and Snapchat or wherever. 
you put out there into the universe, this is my day, this is what I eat, this is what I look like, this is my family laughing, giggling. Well, I don't even think it's just even that. It's so part of it is the image stuff, but part of it too is we're not designed to take in that much information. Suddenly we don't know what things we're really responsible for. Should I care about this? What if I don't like this thing? Should I like this? Should I respond to this? Should I post this? And we feel all of this anxiety and conflict. I mean, right now, even as we record this, who knows how many times your phone and my phone has gone off even while we've sat here and we've had to ignore it in order just to even be present in the moment. We're just too accessible to everything. Okay, so remember Amanda, the sophomore in college that we heard from at the very beginning of the episode? Yeah, the one with the 18-credit semester and bell choir and crazy schedule. That Amanda? Yeah, so when I talked to her about her burnout, she also brought up, all on her own, the influence of social media. I think millennials as a whole, we all feel like we need to change the world in some way and make an impact. Even earlier this week, I watched a movie about the Rwandan genocide. And just realizing, yes, I want to go into social work and work in child welfare and try to, like, change the foster care system is my goal. But at the same time, is that enough? Like, should I be doing more? Like, how can I be saving more people's lives and impacting more people? And so I think by putting that pressure on ourselves and with social media and seeing where other people are at, we're kind of like even in more of this competition of do more, do more, do more, do more, and less of a stop and rest. Yeah, so all of this inclination of Amanda's to add more and more to her schedule because she always feels like she needs to be doing more. Eventually it got bad enough that recently some of Amanda's friends actually confronted her about her constant busyness. It was 12.30 at night. I was already late for bed and my friends decided, Amanda, listen, we we need to talk about your busy schedule. We're going to have a little intervention here. And so they're like, we feel like you're so much happier when you're not super crazy booked. Like we want you to be happy like that you should probably consider cutting stuff out of your schedule. My response to that was, one, finding it ironic that we're having the intervention talk at 1230 at night when I'm already late for bed, <laughs> but also seeing that they're, like, they were coming from a place of like, love and concern, and so I appreciated that. Yeah, and for Amanda, rest doesn't look like taking a three-month sabbatical, but it can look like taking one day a week where she's not obligated to anything. I think that's what I need like this semester is just take like a full day, like Sunday or something and just have that completely free. And also doing things like going for walks and just being filled by just nothing going on. Yeah, and of course, what is Amanda describing? She's describing the Sabbath. I mean, she's describing the very thing that from the onset of creation, God has always told us that we needed. We need time of rest. Everyone's going to have an outlet for stress. And the the idea here is you either make it really bad, which that's your default, is going to be negative, some kind of negative outlet, but you want to transition. And if you can be proactive on the front end and figure out what makes you tick, what are the passions, what excites you? I love music. I I don't play a lick of it, but I love seeing music, hearing music, going to shows. And if I can make sure that that's a priority in my life, then I'm very likely, not in all cases, but very likely to avoid the bad outlets of stress. And so, in fact, I actually ended up asking Jim what it would look like, not just to recover from burnout after it's already happened, but to try to avoid it in the first place altogether. And so here's what he had to say. I don't just have a body. I am a body. So I have to honor the limits of my body, which then goes to my scheduling. How hard am I pushing it? Just being honest about that. Because what I'd like to do is good. I'm really trying to help. But I, I can't do it all. And, and our model for that is Jesus. I've often said, what would it have been like to be the next leper in line? And Jesus says, that's all. And he goes away. 
and he goes away to pray, and I'm still a leper. And yet at the end, he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, Father. That requires a really vibrant, communal life with the living Lord. So imagine a seesaw, and on one end of the seesaw is engagement. The idea of interacting with people, of doing things, of being productive, proactive, taking initiative. But then on the other end of the seesaw is retreat. And in retreat, it's about reflection, it's about space, it's about solitude, it's about silence. We tend as people to sit pretty hard on one end of the seesaw or the other. But in Christ, we see this perfect balance of those two things. I mean, the whole reason that he was able to know who to give his time to, who to love, which things to prioritize, all of that was fed from his ability to retreat. I mean, how often in scriptures do we see him pulling away from the crowds and going off to be alone right at the moment that we think he needs to be stepping up his game? The one person in the history of the world who should have had a God complex did not have a God complex. I just think our our identity is wrongly wrapped up in our performance and productivity. And I think we've, we've got this false gospel that we've preached to us that the more we do for Jesus, the more Jesus loves us. When the truth of the gospel is Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. Jesus doesn't love me any less if I do nothing tomorrow but enjoy him and enjoy my family. He doesn't love me any less than if I would have led 27 people to faith in Christ that day. That's what the gospel has done for us. If you'd like to learn more about Crosspoint Ministry, you can visit their website at crosspointministry.com. To hear past episodes of this podcast, visit lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Hey, and one quick note from last week's episode on where the gospel meets addiction. In that episode, we insinuated that Mike's ex-wife was actually the one who initiated the divorce. And that's actually not accurate. Mike was actually the one who initiated their divorce. It's important to us that we represent people accurately and that we make sure that their character and integrity is upheld in our storytelling. And so as you go back and listen to that episode, please keep in mind this correction. Special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Amanda Fleischman, Jameis Edwards, Annie Edwards, and Jim Cofield. Our senior producer and host, and just overall fantastic fella, is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is Lachlan Coffey, and our producer, technical director, editor, and slap bracelet aficionado is Rachel Zabo. Additional editing by Janelle Dawkins. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year, grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. Likewise.